0: Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. I invite
1: you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. This morning we return to our studies in Luke. And I will read just the first three verses of the chapter to you. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning, and Happy New Year, church family. Happy New Year to you. Like the ocean's tide, 2023 has receded, and ready or not, 2024 has arrived. And it's customary for us to mark the start of a new year by both looking back while simultaneously looking forward. We wonder where a year's gone. For that matter, where years have gone. Believe it or not, this is the first message of my fifth year as your pastor. So I'm not only looking back on 2023, these last few weeks I've looked back on four years of ministry, of preaching the Word of God, and I find myself hoping that this is not like the story of the three men who decided to go out hunting together. One of those was a lawyer, the other was a doctor, and the third was a preacher. And on their hunting trip, they were walking together, and to their surprise, Up up came upon them the biggest buck that they had each seen. And each of them acted out of instinct. They shouldered their rifles and they each squeezed their triggers at the same time. And that buck hit the ground like a sack of bricks. And all three of them rushed up to see just how big the deer was. To their surprise, the buck only had one bullet hole in it, which then started a debate about whose buck it was. And the debate went on for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden upon the scene comes a game warden. And he asked the three men just what the problem was. And the doctor told the game warden about their debate, and the game warden assured them that he could take a look at the deer and tell them exactly who shot it. And it wasn't but a few seconds after inspecting the deer that the game warden announced it was the pastor who shot the buck. And the three men were surprised that the game warden could surmise this so quickly. And the game warden replied, well, it's easy. The bullet went in one ear and right out the other. I don't know if that's true for you, but do not let this message go in one ear and right out the other this morning. You see, one way we approach simultaneously looking back and looking forward in the new year is to come up with what we know as resolutions. Or, saying it another way, to come up with decisions to either do or to not do something anymore. And of course, you know the popular resolutions that we make. We usually, at this time of the year, we usually aim to be healthier. We usually aim to do better with our families. We may even decide that we want to improve our relationship with the Lord. And we come up with these resolutions because we desire a better outcome, right? We look back to last year and we remember the genes that can't fit anymore and we decide to make it our aim to get back into them. We decide we're going to do something either for or at church. And the thing that I wonder, though, is don't we seem every year to make the same resolutions? Year after year. Have you ever wondered why your ability to bring about your resolutions seem most like a Katy Perry song? It's because you're hot and then you're cold. You're yes and then you're no. You're in and then you're out. You're up and then you're down. In other words, a resolution is just a promise to yourself. And in reality, when the going gets tough, there's not even a second thought that crosses our mind about letting ourselves down. But let me tell you something about the Lord. He doesn't deal in resolutions like how I just described or defined them. He deals in covenants, I want to give you a formal definition for that word. I'm going to put it overhead for you. Covenant is a sacred kinship bond between two parties. I don't know why that's not switching for you guys. Maybe I can get some help upstairs. There we go. Putting this in simpler terms for now with an example, God has made a covenant, or if you will, God has made a promise with you and I as Christians. That when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he has covenanted that our sins will be forgiven, that we will be made new from the inside out, and that we will live at eternity, uh, for eternity at peace with him. The Lord has covenanted that through faith we gain a father. He's covenanted through faith we gain a family. See, God has staked his name, or if you like, God has staked his very own reputation on this. So if the Lord doesn't hold up his end of the bargain, he's not just letting himself down. And God enters into this covenant with all the children that he's adopted into his family through faith. So if you're a Christian this morning, God has promised these things to you as his son, or God has promised these things to you as his daughter. And if you're not a Christian, God is offering you today forgiveness, transformation, a family, peace, and eternity. And he can offer these things. He can promise these things because he's the triune God who has revealed himself as three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I've started our our time together in this way because I'm confident of our God, absolutely confident of our God. And I am confident that 2024 holds so much potential for this church. And in order for that potential to be reached, we cannot be in and then out as brothers and sisters. We need to forget resolutions, at least in terms of our commitment to this church and God's kingdom. Our song cannot be summed up as each of us being hot and then cold, or each of us being yes and then no. I believe that God is calling us each to covenant together before the Lord to make progress towards the potential. This year holds for our church. The question is, are you willing to covenant? Are you willing to promise? And if everybody said yes right now, I'd let us go and we'd go get triple C or something before everybody else in town. But I know that for many, the question out there this morning is, what are the terms of this covenant? I'm glad you asked. I haven't even started preaching. But where I want us to do this morning is to see three aspects to this covenant for our church family in 2024. And what we're going to do is we're going to work through three headings that relate to the gospel that our text communicates. And from there, we're going to extract the aspects of the covenant. So the first heading that we're going to explore is this. That the gospel is good news for all. The gospel is good news for all. I don't want to tell you about this good news. I want to tell you about this glorious gospel of which I am called to announce. It's the same gospel that our text tells us that our Lord took in verse 1 through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was preaching the gospel of God's marvelous kingdom. He was announcing that the salvation of God was available to everyone. Announcing that God was ready to be sought by people who were not asking for him, and God is ready to be found by people who did not seek the Lord. My friends, you may be here this morning because you're not necessarily pursuing God. But you need to know right now that it is in God's nature to reveal himself to people who do not look for him. And no matter your reason for being here, what our text is opening us to is the goodness of God as a father. It's announcing to us that how, in Jesus, God is revealing himself in a way that he had yet to do before. This is what the Bible says about the gospel in a summary statement about it. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this, of the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. Praise God, right? Yet we live in a society that is constantly searching for sound bites, the the 140 characters of a tweet, desiring one-liners and zingers. So please do not read, Christ died for our sins, and think, well, that's nice. Don't read it like that. Because, my friends, there are 8 billion souls drawing breath this day around the globe, and countless many have actually heard the name of Jesus. And yet they only know the headline. They don't know the story. And as you sit there this morning, there may be many words that you use to describe yourself that you believe are absolutely unique to you. You might describe yourself as tall or short or or fat or thin or light or dark or intelligent or athletic or studious or hardworking. And the list might go on. Yet there is only one word that describes you. And only one word that describes the person next to you in the pew and a one word that describes me all the same. Sinner. Each of us, no matter how highly we think of ourselves, is a sinner. I mean, when you go to an interview and the interviewer asks that inevitable open-ended question, tell me about yourself. Sinner ain't the first adjective that comes out of the chute, is it? It's because we've been coached to see only the most positive aspects of who we are while overlooking the rest. We grade ourselves on the curve all the time. The gospel demands that we have a sobering reality check that we see plainly that where it really counts, we're each morally corrupt. We each have done and we each have thought things that separate us from the perfect, holy God who is our creator. And without God's help, That separation cannot be bridged. And don't think of sin as something easy to just dismiss. Like we tell ourselves all the time, it's just a minor cuss word. Or I got a little drunk. Or like so many people do these days to gratify their lusts, they say, you know, it's okay. I only looked. I didn't touch. My friends, sin is committing high treason against God the God who is the king of the cosmos. Every sin is high treason, including every little cuss word, including every time you just catch a little buzz, including every time you briefly look upon someone in lust who is not your husband or your wife. And as you may be aware, anytime someone commits treason against a nation or this world, they are subject to the penalty of death. And the same is true for every last one of us We are sinners. That's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I know the the reality of hell and the torment of judgment found is mocked today. People ascend and they say, you know, mentally ascend. There's not a hell. Make no mistake. There is nothing you and I can do to avoid God's judgment for sinners. It's nothing. Just as a good father will discipline his children, so must the heavenly father bring justice upon every soul who has sinned. How then could the Father be good if he's not just? I've been to a Christian tourist attraction in northern Kentucky called the Ark Encounter twice. It's a place where some Christians have attempted to build a a replica of the Ark that God commanded Noah to build thousands of years ago. The first time that my family went was back in 2019. Here's a picture of that trip. How little my girls were. To give you a sense of everything, even though we look absolutely tiny in front of that boat, the replica of, and the fact that the boat looks absolutely huge, we're more than a football field in front of the, the ark that's there. More like 400 feet between us and the ark from that very point. It's huge. And the real ark that Noah built is just as huge. And If you're not familiar with the story of the ark, God told Noah about a coming judgment upon the earth for humanity's great sin. And God told Noah to build an ark because God would judge humanity's sin by flooding the earth. Any creatures that were aboard the ark at the time of the flood would be spared. Now I much appreciated my first visit to the ark encounter over my second because I think that they have softened it a touch. They probably softened it to make it more palatable to the masses. But on that first trip, as soon as you made your way up onto the replica ark, there was a section that was intended to simulate what boarding the ark must have been like as the rains began to fall. The lights were flickering. Those lights flickering were simulating the the sound of the thunder and the lightning of the hellacious storm outside. There was a deafening sound of torrential rain. And I was, you know, I am a grown man, not was, I still am. I'm a grown man. And that thing was terrifying for me. My girls were just eight and six at the time. And my youngest, Lily, was just stuck on us, stuck on me. And I will never forget what happened next. Pulled an arm to get attention and asked, why are they knocking on the boat, Daddy? Why are they knocking on the boat? I was confused. And I realized what I hadn't distinguished from the rain and the thunder. Countless hands that were beating on the side of the ark. Innumerable voices shouting, let us in! Save us! Let us in! Let us in! Save us! And Lily says in the midst of her tears, Daddy, we have to let them in. Why can't they come in? Why can't they come in? And that afternoon, I got to explain God's justice and God's love to my six-year-old child. I explained to her that those people outside the ark, they couldn't come on board because they had already rejected God. That God had already revealed His glory to them through creation and that God's love, God's salvation, was extended them for the decades that it had taken Noah to construct that ark. These people outside, beating on the side, had decades of opportunities to turn to the Lord and be saved sound like you this morning? It may not have been a boat that's being built, but how many times have you come to a service like this and heard a message like this? Lily asked, well, what about now, Daddy? Is there another storm coming? There's not another flood coming, but the Lord Himself is coming. And when He does, He will come to judge the wicked and the righteous. And those who are not found in Christ, meaning that they have rejected Jesus They will be cast into the lake of fire. But the good news for you and I is that Jesus is a far better ark than the one you see on the screen. Jesus is a far better ark because there's more room for far more souls than that big boat could ever carry. There's far more room for far more souls because it is Jesus, the Son of God, who died for our sins. And though he died, he's alive. It's a far better ark. And I explained this to a six-year-old, and I added that everyone who says that Jesus is king and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Do you know what she said? Can I explain this? This is a six-year-old's wisdom. This isn't like advanced mathematics or something like this. This is what a six-year-old said. This is the first term of our church covenant. Daddy, we've got to tell everyone. A six-year-old gets this. We've got to tell everyone. Friends, God has not saved us for ourselves, but He has saved us in His love for His glory so that we would go tell others. We have an obligation to go and to tell. And so this year, tell every last person you know about the gospel. He didn't save you because you were pretty or tall or short or fat or thin. He saved you in His love for His glory to go and tell. my friends, we have to tell everyone. Everyone let them know that the power of god that the gospel is the power of god unto salvation. And beyond that, if you're a christian, tell them about how the gospel changes lives. It's the second thing we see in our text about the gospel. Our text tells us that Jesus was out proclaiming this gospel and then brings to our attention beginning at the end of verse 1 that the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, women named Mary, from whom seven demons had gone out, a woman named Joanna uh, and Susanna, and many others. And what a group to walk with Jesus that testified to the transforming power of the gospel. I want to tell you three different ways that the gospel changes lives, okay? They're all here in just this verse and a half. The first way the gospel changes lives is that the gospel changes minds. The gospel changes minds. I want us to try to remember back when Jesus called the 12 to himself where we just we where we saw just who those 12 are. It comes from Luke chapter 6. I know that's months ago now. It's a lot of things for us to forget between now and then, right? But these are the 12. Each of those men's lives were absolutely changed when Jesus called them. And I want to point out to you just how the gospel changed the minds of two of these guys. The two I want to call to our attention are men named Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector. Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector. Both Matthew and Simon are Jewish men. And before Jesus, they could not have been living their lives any more differently than how these two guys lived their lives. Before meeting Jesus, Matthew had taken a job as a tax collector within the Roman infrastructure. And there was no greater betrayal to a people than for a Jew to serve Rome as a tax collector. I mean, Matthew is literally nickel and diming his own people to serve a godless ruler. And on the opposite end of the spectrum is Simon. Simon, who's basically a Jewish religious fanatic, who's a member of a party ready to revolt against Rome and restore Israel. These guys are not even remotely living in the same bubble. One is a traitor and the other's a revolutionary. And for both of them, the gospel proved that their loyalties have been misplaced. Absolutely misplaced. See, when Jesus calls you to himself such that he is finally Lord and Savior of your life, that your loyalty and allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom first. See, when you and I realize this, that our loyalties as redeemed children of God is to Christ and His kingdom first, oh we may be card-carrying Democrats or card-carrying Republicans. We may be Longhorns or we may be Aggies or, God forbid, Baylor Bears, right? We may be new to divine or we may be from a legacy family. But all of those interests fall away as things that do not matter here amongst God's people. Because our allegiance is to Christ, our King. Changes our minds. The gospel also changes conditions. Conditions. Did you notice that among the group who are with Jesus is a woman named Mary Magdalene who was delivered from seven demons? Now I know we are so advanced in our thoughts, so scientific, so factual that we can measure and evaluate and know everything, right? And so our thinking today about demon possession, it's difficult for us to comprehend. It's just a story in the Bible, right? So scientific. Well, I want to tell you about a person named Sam. A man who was a 40-something father of two who was making a living in Christian publishing. Sam's a Christian publisher, father of two. Sam had never been to jail. He'd never been on the streets. Otherwise, you'd define him as a good guy. The only thing about Sam is that he let a nightly beer turn into two. And that two beer a night thing turned into a six pack a night thing, which turned into a case a day thing, which turned into him hiding many bottles in his bathroom. And soon enough, every moment in his life revolved around trying to sneak away and grab a drink. And a story like Sam's opens us to the mind of someone possessed by alcoholism. Sam did did make his way to rehab, and he progressed as he progressed into the recovery phases. Sam struggled to realize God's presence amid his alcoholism until he arrived at this truth. The truth is this. Substance abuse is a physical manifestation of sin's control and possession of someone. I'll say it again. Substance abuse is a physical manifestation of sin's control and possession of someone. And everyone, as it turns out, is an addict. Everyone. And my friends, if you repent and you believe, Jesus will begin the work of delivering you from the sin that possesses you today. It can be instant deliverance. It may be a lifetime's worth of effort in deliverance. But be assured, Jesus will not leave you the same way he finds you. He will not changes minds, conditions. Finally, the third thing I want you to see is that it changes situations. And this is a really important detail that I hope we don't miss out on. And I want us to notice the fact that Luke makes mention of many women who were disciples with Jesus. And you need to know how just incredible this is for Luke to record. I mean, in the time that Jesus is on earth, women are second-class citizens. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Jewish women. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Roman women either. Society was structured so that men had absolute power. A, a Jewish teacher like Jesus would have men exclusively walking with him. And yet, here among those walking with Jesus are many men. It's in the Bible that we find in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And friends, this is good news For us as citizens of Christ's kingdom. Because if we have been called unto Christ, there is no second class citizen amongst us. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Young and old, male and female, every shade of skin color. Nothing, and I mean nothing, makes us superior to one another. And this brings us all to the second condition that's laid before us. We are going to tell everybody and we celebrate when souls have been forgiven and lives transformed. That's what we celebrate. I want to make clear what this calls for us here. Everybody I know wants to be part of a success, and I need to make clear what these metrics are for defining success. It's this what we celebrate. In other words, we're a successful church when we're discipling forgiven souls through deep gospel transformation. Friends, if you're measuring the success of this church by the the number of people in a service or how much last month's offering was, you are not using the standard that mattered to Jesus. You're applying the standard that matters to the world, to the church, and there is no place for that. This is what we celebrate. Forgiven souls, lives that are transformed. It brings us to our final truth about the gospel in this text. Demands are all. gospel demands are all. To whom much is given, much will be required. If we're really going to make, if we're really going to, to promise before the Lord that we're going to tell everybody about the reason we have faith in Jesus so that we might see minds and conditions and situations changed here in divine and beyond, it's going to take everything we've got. It is. I want to call to our attention to these Wonderful women, amazing women who walked with Jesus once more. These women were forgiven of their sins. They were delivered from what possessed them. And they're now all in and giving their all to the ministry of the Son of God incarnate. And we look and wonder and we say, we ask, what is it that Mark's giving their all? Were they giving all their time? Sure they would. Were they rendering unto the Lord the service in accordance with their gifts? Absolutely. Luke tells us that that they're there amongst all the other disciples of Jesus, going throughout the cities and, and villages, but there's more here that our attention must be drawn to. We should look to what Luke tells us specifically about these women in support of the gospel, because what they're doing, what they're doing is a great way or a great place to evaluate just how down you are with Jesus and his kingdom. This is something that, that, that comes in as a check your heart type of thing. And it comes right at the end of verse 3 where it says that they, speaking of the women, provided for them out of their means. In other words, these women were those who supported the, the ministry of Jesus financially. Just so you're aware, the ministry of Jesus was not funded by a, a central fund that came from other groups in this day. For Jesus and his disciples to carry the gospel between cities and villages, the money that made that possible was provided for by those who were members of his group. The funding for this gospel ministry didn't come from outside that would have sought to influence how the gospel was going to be proclaimed. That's exactly how things work here in this church. As Baptists, we are a church that is independent from any external influence. Meaning, we don't accept monies from government sources. We're not like other denominations, like Catholics or Methodists, who receive money from a, a central pot so that people with funny hats or colorful robes can tell us how to preach the gospel by controlling the purse strings. I mean, last year someone even asked me if I or this church got commissioned for every person we baptized. I wish, I wish, but that's not how things work here. Every bit of ministry that, that we're able to accomplish comes solely from those of you who provide out of your means. I often compare giving money to kingdom work like lifting weights. We've had a number of our students compete at state in powerlifting across the schools represented in our congregation over these last few years. Praise God for that. Many of our students have, just like we're looking forward to, to Seth DeLeon here, bringing back some gold to divine in a few months. No pressure, by the way. Seth told me he's bench pressing 345 pounds right now. 345 pounds. You know how he got to benching that much? Well, somewhere along the way in his past, he started lifting the bare minimum, started lifting the bar. And then with time, he found that he could carry more and more as he added a 5-pound plate or a 10-pound plate or a 45-pound plate and so on, right? And that's the way giving works with Jesus things. And for some of you, what you need to hear this morning is that the work of Jesus needs you to start contributing. Time to pick up the bar. And for others of you, what you need to hear this morning is that it's time to increase, time to add some resistance. It's time to be surprised by how much you can actually give. And if you're wondering what to give or where to give to, There are two primary areas to give towards this year. The first is to the ministry of this church itself. We have an approved annual budget for doing kingdom work through this church that's just over $700,000. And if we're going to do everything that we believe God wants us to do in and through this church, we each need to do our part, which means each of us giving regularly and faithfully. The second area to call to our attention to is our church's building fund. And as many as you know, we, we've recently entered into a relationship with a, a church architecture firm that is going to help us develop a vision of what this property can be so that we can do ministry both today and for generations to come here in Devon. And our building fund presently stands at a balance just shy of $100,000. That's not insignificant. But it's going to take much more to accomplish what needs to be done here. Much more. Some of you have means to give large amounts, and frankly, you're going to need to. Some of you can't give large amounts. But you need to know God honors all contributions made to the advancement of God's kingdom. Every last one. There's newcomers here today who are thinking, Great, it's my first time here, and the guy's talking about money. I don't usually do that. But I am today because I'm inviting you to join in this work. Because God's calling this church to it, and that work involves you. This brings us to the third thing. We're going to tell everybody, we're going to celebrate forgiven souls, transform lives. We'll provide out of our means. See, it's a work that will involve sacrifice, and it's going to require our all. And this is something that our church has done before, by the way. Many of you know that I'm fascinated with history. Including the history of this church, and this morning you find yourself at what is the fourth location that First Baptist Church Divine has ever met at. We started meeting at this in this very building back in 1952, and within just a few short years after the completion of this building that you're sitting in, the church raised two additional standalone buildings that you know today. It's the Fellowship Hall. And you know today is the building that contains the old library and the church offices and some Sunday school rooms and the the choir room. And the hallway that joins them is an addition to tie those two buildings together with the education building that came in the 1980s. But think about this for a moment. In the span of just a few short years, this church raised not one, not two, but three new buildings. This was a church whose culture at its core was a people gathered together, a people united by the Holy Spirit under the Son of God for the advancement of His kingdom. Well, how do I know this? How can I conclude that? Well, I came across a newsletter article that was penned by the church's pastor back then. The pastor back then was a man named Don Rose. Some of you might remember that name. And Pastor Rose said then, You can tell much about a man's heart by how he uses. Just three books. In other words, you know everything about a person, man or woman, by how they use these three books. What three books are they? Pastor Rose said, the good book, the hymn book, and the checkbook. The good book, the hymn book, and the checkbook. In other words, as a people of God, they studied the word of God. As a people of God, they worshipped the living God. And as a people of God, they return to God what was already his. Why?
0: Thank you for tuning in to this all message brought glory. to you by First Baptist Church Divine. The gospel is the message of God that salvation has been accomplished in, Divine, in and Texas. through the
1: life and we the death and the resurrection
0: at of Jesus Christ. A.m. Or 11 and it's a.m. free to all who you can That's find more information about each of us this Church as Divine we start at www.dot.fbcdivine.org. The gospel applied to our lives
1: sees that we're that we're changed so that the way God found us is not the way He's going to leave us. Rather, God is going to perfect us with each passing day as we are obedient to the Word of God and as we respond to the gospel by telling others about God's salvation. And we celebrate seeing lives of others changed. We're also responding by giving our all. To include providing for this ministry of the gospel out of our means. There's one thing that, if if I could tell you, was a takeaway that we each need to learn to do this year. That's this. Friends, we've got to learn or we've got to come to the place where we can discern the difference between good things and God things. There's a lot of good things we can have conversations about, there's a lot of good things we can celebrate, there's a lot of good things that we can. Support monetarily, but we've got to tell the difference between good things and what it is that God wants us to do with that which He's given to us. You know, it might be a good thing for me to spend my time this afternoon talking Super Bowl dreams for the Dallas Cowboys with my friends, and boy, I'm excited right now. But it is of God to invite people around my supper table to tell them about Jesus Christ. It might be a good thing for me to rejoice at my alma alma mater's first bowl win. My UTSA Roadrunners won their first bowl game last month. But it is of God when we celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a brother like Joe Martinez, who God is delivering from addiction. He told this church about it five or six years ago. He's even been singing in our choir lately. That's what we celebrate. It might be a good thing for me to give, my, to, give any, to any number of things, but there is no greater cause to give towards than that of the mission of God that is accomplished in and through the local church, like First Baptist Divine. You may have noticed that over the last few weeks, I have started giving you all these little fill-in-the-blank things. Started putting those together because one of the mamas of our church asked for some help in keeping her, her kiddo's attention during church. I didn't know she was talking about her husband, but anyway. <clears throat> On the back, though, you've noticed in the last few weeks we've added some lines for notes, and this morning I've added some questions for you to answer. These are questions for you to answer either individually or as a family, whether it's at your lunch table or, or the supper table tonight. I need you to know, I've shared with you from my heart this morning about what I believe are aspects of a covenant or aspects of promises that we are each being called to make together as a body of Christ known as First Baptist Church before the Lord in 2024. To see this church aspire towards its God-given potential. I really am asking you to consider these questions. Consider them. Don't, Don't dismiss them. Don't let it be the bullet through one ear and out the other. Pray about how you'll respond to them. Pray about how you'll respond to them individually. Pray about how you'll respond to them as a family. Use your time this afternoon to be honest and to be vulnerable before the Lord. To Be honest about where you see challenges. And where you see those challenges, turn those to prayers that you journal. I'd suggest you, go find yourself a really nice, like a really nice leather-bound journal. And on the front half, like literally mark half of it and mark that area for prayer. And on the second half, write it, uh, mark it for, for answered prayer. And these things that you identify as challenges to these questions, record those things as prayers right now. And then in time, you'll be able to come back because we serve a faithful God and see how he answered those prayers time after time. Continue to, that, to return to that journal of prayer. Don't be surprised when God has moved what you thought were mountains when it comes to emboldening you to share your faith. Don't be surprised when God gives you eyes to see and celebrate the work of the Spirit in the lives of others. Don't be surprised when God moves you to financially support the ministry of the church. Let's start by learning how to ask God to show us the difference between good things And God thinks. Can we promise that to each other? Can we hold each other accountable to that? I think the Lord would have us do that.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine. Located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30am or 11am services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.